Welcome back to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. I am, uh, I'm absolutely thrilled to have Andrew Collins with me today. Andrew is the, uh, the CEO of Sentient Jet, which is uh, one of the premier uh, providers of private aircraft travel solutions, uh, one of the larger jet card companies in the, in the world. Um, you've been there, what, about a decade now, Andrew? You've been running Sentient Jet. I've been, quite a long I've been time. running Sentient Jet for uh, since 2012. That's when I got that call from Ken Rickey and he said, why don't you run the company type of thing? And so, yeah, that's, that's, it's been happening since then. I've been here actually since 2004. Wow. It's been fun to watch you guys grow over the years. I mean, I knew Sentient Jet before you got there and it was kind of fun watching it come out of the, you know, kind of rise from nothing to where it is, uh, to where it is today. So it's all good. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. You guys must be crazy busy right now. Yeah. I, you know, look, we were, we were talking about this earlier, but like, you know, in the pandemic, you had sort of that first part, which everybody sort of was wondering what could happen. And I think there was that pause. Then the pandemic drove essentially, and we all became evangelists for why private was important. And then all the sales grew and all the interest grew. And one would argue the addressable market grew in the process. And then, you know, we then as an industry took on all that volume. And, you know, it's not an industry that is based on a commoditized supply. It's one that has a sophisticated and constricted, you know, supply, right? And so we had to had to work our way through that. We're doing really well. Um, I think our field operations team and our flight operations team have been great. We've had to work through, like everybody else, you know, taking on greater volume. But um, look, I, I think what this market did, which is really fascinating, is it rationalized pricing. It exposed, you know, kind of the true nature of how important capital is to the business. And I think it it, it showed that, you know, this is something people need to pay a premium for. Mm-hmm. And in order to service them the way they expect, you know, that is expensive. That's a cost, right? And there was a lot of runaway trains in the industry before this that could kind of subsidize or could kind of throw out different models that I think created a lot of noise along the way. But I think what this has done is really kind of brought forth almost a discipline mm-hmm. and is is forcing companies to really look at it and say, okay, this is what a price point should look like. You know, you do need to pass on a fuel surcharge. You do need to think about these things, right? You can't just hope, you know, as they say, hope's not a strategy. You can't just hope in three months things are going to shift or, or, or what have you. You really have to say, this is the world we live in. And you then have to look at, you know, what you have in aggregate demand and say, how am I going to service that? And I think we've done an effective job between kind of the people process technology steps that go into that. But uh, yeah, so far, so good. Pretty good right now. That's good. You know, the one thing you said in there was, you know, it's rationalized pricing and it is a premium product. Yeah. And the one thing I've been kind of scratching my head and you've got elements out there that have been talking about the democratization of business aviation. <laughs> and I'm like, that's, that's like trying to create a diet pizza. It just doesn't, <laughs> it, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Um, you know, here's, here's the way I look at it. It's kind of like, a, you know, when I describe one of our companies and we talk about it as vertical lift, it's actually helicopters, right? Right now. And, you know, but it's got this great name known as vertical lift. Okay. And that sounds a little bit, you know, more, Uh, engaging perhaps, I don't know. But long story short, I think if you tell me that I'm sharing an aircraft or it's seat sharing and you call it democratization, you're just giving it a name. It's it's already existed. But I think that it's really hard to democratize $7,000, $8,000 an hour. I mean, it's, you know, they're in conflict with one another in many respects. It is. And that's, you know, that's like I said, where I've always been scratching my head. But, you know, but, you know, here's the realistic thing is that, the airlines this summer have been getting, you know, the the tar knocked out of them. Sure. Weather, between weather, their operations, pilots, the regional jet carriers. I was just talking to a senior VP of operations at one of the regional jets. He says, we have no spare airplanes because we have no spare pilots. So if we go down, um, I know personally, I just you know bought a ticket from Wilmington, North Carolina to Miami, 1300 bucks round trip coach. Hey, there you go. Coach. And coach. Um, and, you know, I think about if I'm a company now putting five people on a jet, am I really, you know, uh, you know is it really costing me all that much more? 
to buy a jet car and put my right. teams on, on a private jet, knowing that they're going to get to where they need to go versus, you know, you know, praying the regional airline in Chicago shows up. Yeah. I mean, it's a great, it's a great point because prior to this, everybody would always do that comparison and it would break, right? They would always say, let's compare first class to you know, always. Somebody would come in and say, Hey, you know, I, I want to write a great article on you guys. Let's compare a first class route to private. And, you know, you'd always have to explain like, look, it, it's not really going to do what you want it to, but now it, it's a lot closer. You're right. And I, I do feel like there's also a difference in the way people are thinking of travel. Um, the relationship to an office or the relationship to a headquarters is different, right? Mm -hmm. So the CEO of American Express at the beginning of the year made a really interesting statement that said he felt like there will be, you know, sort of his executive team might return to headquarters four or five times out of the field annually. And you might do that differently. And you might think about a private solution to do that, because mm -hmm. if that's the only time they're going to be, you know, together, for instance, you're going to want to make that flawless and, you know, get that, get as much surety as you can to bring them mm -hmm. together. Yeah. I think, I think that does absolutely make a lot of sense. My, uh, my neighbor in my office complex, very good friend of mine is private equity. He's on the you know, medical side of private equity. Um, he calls me from LaGuardia airport and he says, my flight just got canceled and then it got canceled again. Mm -hmm. And then it got canceled again. Yep. And I can't make it home for three days. Ooh. Do you have a, do you have a solution for me? You know, do you have an, do you have an option? Now imagine, you know, that's him. And yeah, now imagine if it's, you know, you absolutely have to be somewhere on Tuesday. Yeah. That's the difference. And and the difference becomes what's the, the you know, it's, it's less the, the dollars and cents and more of, Hey, what makes sense for the business? And I'm hoping that's the way people start to, yeah, you know, I think that business has got to shift. My personal opinion is that, you know, if you got a net worth of $10 million or more, you should just have a jet card. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's you know, not really a, uh, it's not going to make a dent in your life, um, but it's something, it, it's something you can afford and should have. Yeah, it's that peace of mind. And, you know, you mentioned something interesting that your gentleman that you just mentioned was in private equity. One of the things we've noticed and I've I've sort of spotted at the beginning was, you know, the people that have been flying for business ha have really been transactional. They've been deal teams. They've been, you know, people that are, you know, out and about. And some of it gets buried because, you know, you might have a personal jet card and it might just be Craig is the name on the card or, or what have you. But in, in actuality, you're flying for business. So, again, you're going to see more folks along those lines that, you know, that's a great example. If that person needs to be there, if that person needs to have that backup, if that, you know, they can still fly commercial, but you're probably going to find that like anything else, you're going to pick and choose your routings because you're mm -hmm. going to know like, you know, these have a good shot, you know, and some of them don't. And that's probably where we're going to be for at least the next year or so. Yep. Now you guys have, look, you've got great visibility across all the operators. You know, you know, you know the, yeah. you're, you're the, the customer of all the operators. Right. Um, yeah. How are they, you know, how are you keeping the quality up? How are you making sure that they're not committing to stuff that they can't, I mean, they're, they're running hundred miles an hour too. You know, how does that, how's it all affecting your business throughout the supply chain? Um, you know, look, we have a really stringent certification process and we have adhered to that the entire time, uh, even, you know, during the heavy volume uh, of the pandemic. And I would just say that the few things, you, you know, these are people that we've been partnered with in many respects for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. So there's a deep set of relationships there that, that go back. And um, we also have the financial might, you know, as a company that, you know, Ascension alone is, you know, outside of one sky is probably, I don't know, five or $600 million this year in mm -hmm. top line. It's not the biggest company in the world, but you know, we have the, the, the wherewithal between our traditional business, which is profitable, as well as, you know, the one sky family business and, and might and balance sheet, we can, we can make arrangement with, you know, various operators for things. And, you know, we, between the stringency, between the commitment and the pre-buying that we do, um, I would tell you, we tend to run our business a lot similar to where it was, you know, pre-pandemic. That said, what we are seeing is 
the same thing that's hitting the industry, whether you're fleet-based uh, at a, you know, a, 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 one of the larger kind of fleet-based companies, uh, whether you're fractional or whether you're, you know, membership or, or what have you, all the way through to the operators, you know, it's the same thing. Airlines have it, you know, with, with pilots and crews. So, so too does private, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to figure out, you know, the best way to bring pilots on and, and retain them and, you know, make life interesting for them. You got to think about quality of life, right? Um, operators are looking at and dealing with the same thing that the national programs are dealing with fuel, right? Uh, slot differentials, um, you know, various things like that. They're also looking at making sure that they can keep up with traditional maintenance cycles, right? Mm-hmm. And the things that are supposed to be scheduled that they happen and, you know, resting crews and maintenance are probably two of your bigger things that, you know, even if an operator has, you know, 20 aircraft or 15 aircraft, you know, they don't have all those cycles. They don't have all that capacity because there's going to be things that are going up and down for various reasons. You've just got to make sure you're partnered with the people that are that are doing that accordingly, Right. And I'm not suggesting anybody out is out there cutting corners in any way. I'm just suggesting we have a certification process that we stick to and we make sure we're working with and we make sure our partners are happy with us. Um, that is another key, right? It, it, it can be in a marketplace situation where one you know, can look at the counterparty and just say, look, I'll just give you this price and that's that or we'll do this or it's a transactional relationship. We're very different from that. You know, um, I could name the half dozen people that are kind of under the hood here that everybody knows by name and everybody knows in the industry and everything else because they've fostered and built great relationships over time. And we kind of take care of our own in many respects. So but I I think everybody's feeling, you know, the supply chain challenges and, and so on and so forth that are out there. I think the question is, is, you know, do people stick and are they sticking to the way that they've traditionally operated and the folks that we use? We believe they are, and you know we continue to to work with them and partner with them. How are the conversations shifting a little bit? I mean, you've got a lot of partner, you know, a lot of partner operators that you're talking to, and you're buying uh-huh. a lot of time from them. And obviously, your success is guaranteed by their success. So, how do those conversations? How are those conversations changing now? Yeah, you know, when you may go to an operator and just say, "Hey, look, we know you need to make some money on this thing. You know, you you've got to be successful." some money too. Here's our, here's our challenges. It's that's how you have to handle it. It it can't just be, you know, a transactional thing. It's gotta be a, how does your business run? This is how our business runs. Do we fit together? Right. The other thing is there's, there's some folks that, you know, we've worked with in the past or, or in the recent past where, you know, they've really felt like because the market is what it is, I'm just going to go to the top, top, top of pricing, or I'm going to put much more onerous terms on something. And that might satisfy, you know, your short-term gain, but, Mm -hmm. you know, who you want to partner with are the folks that are in it for the long-term. And I don't know that every single person we partner with thinks of it that way, but we do. And so a lot of what we do is, and I, I talk to, for instance, Adam Hohulan, uh, who runs our flight operations all the time about this, which is, um, you know, who do we love? Who do we like working with? Who really, you know, gets it? Who, who tends to really want to partner? Um, I want our operator partners to make money. I want them to make great money. Okay. And, and, and that's why they should work with us. And quite frankly, we are in a bit, you know, they don't have to take on the SGNA to have a sales force at a retail level. They can work with us and, and we can figure out, you know, how to write down to the predictable cash flow they can get off of it to go out and finance aircraft or anything else in their business. Right. And that tends to work really well. And we, you know, the biggest thing, Craig, is you got to be consistent all the time. So I don't know that the conversations have changed. I would tell you that perhaps maybe the players have gotten more refined. And okay. it's, it's, it's mainly because, you know, some of the folks, as I said, that, you know, see this market as kind of that, you know, that, that gold rush 49er market and nothing else. That's harder to play, you know, in that scenario, right? Because that's where, um, you know, somebody's just looking for to maximize that transaction. And that's not always going to work with us or be congruent in the way our model works. Mm-hmm. And I, again, you know, I want our folks to make money, but, you know, we've got to figure out how to make it work within the model too. So it, it's probably a little bit more about, you know, who we think we've put our arms around and hugged a little bit more 
during this and, and evolved in this, and especially in the last year or so. Yeah, I got you. But, you know, now you're part of, as we were talking about before we came on, you know, obviously One Sky Aviation, Sentient yep. Jet, Flex Jet, FX Air, and then what's now Halo. Yeah, Halo is, uh, yeah, yeah. Halo is uh, a, a helicopter management company in the UK. And here uh, it's been rebranded to uh, FlexJet Private Helicopter. And that'll okay. eventually make its way over to Europe. How are all the how are all the companies? I mean, obviously the goal is a little bit of vertical integration, different products, you sure. know, keep the customer sticky. Yeah. Um, how's it all? How are all these companies, these brands playing together? How do you guys talk to each other? How do you work with each other? Well, you know, if you've done this right, right, if you've gone out and if you're Ken and if you've purchased the right company, there's always going to be inherent competition, right? Because you, you that's what you want in your talent base for sure. Uh, I would tell you, though, that we've all figured out a really interesting dynamic. Um, I talk to Mike Silvestro at FlexJet all the time. We refer customers back and forth depending on their needs. Um, if I have somebody that needs an on-demand flight and is somebody that was referred to me personally, I might call Greg Slow up over at FX Air and, and ask Greg to have his team handle it uh, and so on and so forth. I think you have two things that are really interesting. One, you have a very discreet buyer for each storefront or brand, right? You have a fractional buyer that's buying into Red Label, that's buying a newer Gulfstream that like, as you go through those hoops, that's a very segmented and specific buyer, okay? Then you have somebody that's like, you know, look, I just want to make sure that I'm flying with somebody that has, you know, an incredibly strong safe program. And mm -hmm. that's a card holder, right? Because they've got the volume, they go with it. That's a sentient customer, okay? And then you have the people that they just do not want to commit. They want it per drink or per flight. And they're an on-demand flyer, or they buy that way as a, a corporation, right? They're used mm -hmm. to buying that way. So they're, they're an on-demand flyer. So you have all these discrete kind of segments that buy into the market and represent kind of the primary flyers for each brand. Then it's like a Venn diagram, right? You have the person that owns a FlexJet share that owns a sentient card and just yeah. talked to Greg Slow about an on-demand flight. And that happens all the time. Right. And we love it. And the funny part is, is um, at first when we were acquired, uh, you know, into the family, first thing you go to is like, oh my gosh, like, am I going to, you know, lose a customer base or is this going to happen or is that going to happen? Nope, not at all. Um, people kind of figure out where their home is or they're a blended flyer. And, you know, the blended flyer thing is not something a lot of people talk about, but people hold multiple solutions. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of it is, is that when you're a standalone company, you think you have your loyalist customer base. I guarantee they're cheating on you. Just oh, yeah. it is what it is, right? It is what it is. And, you know, for many years when Sentient was a standalone entity, uh, we thought we, we, we even had it labeled. They were loyalists. And then we went out and acquired a company and I was looking through their customer base and I went, wait a minute. And it was like your girlfriend was cheating on you, suddenly, right? <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, what you start to realize is blended flying is very real. So somebody that owns a large cabin aircraft share with FlexJet but wants a shorter mission might use sentient, right? Or they might have a business need and they go to the on-demand side. And mm -hmm. that is a very natural thing to have happen in our business, but no one will ever come out and talk about that because they usually represent a singular brand. That's the purview we get. So we can see the balance. Um, we also see people that, you know, the needs change. So Craig, a good one is, um, you know, somebody was using a corporate, you know, fractional, and now they've retired. And mm -hmm. so they're no, no longer access to that, but they still want to stay within one sky. They buy a card. Um, somebody unfortunately passes away, but, you know, some of the people that are part of the estate still want to fly, but they don't need, you know, a card. Last thing I would say is, is that um, there's a really strong chemistry match within one sky amongst a lot of the leaders. And that tends to propel a lot of things Mm -hmm. uh, I, I would tend to think if we didn't have that, or if we really had a lot of friction, we probably wouldn't be where we are. I, and I, I would credit Ken with that. I would credit some others with that. But I think that bringing together of, of talent has been really key to it as well in the personalities. You guys are monumentally entrepreneurial organization, directional yeah. aviation, one sky, 
yep. sentient. It's it's a very aggressive entrepreneurial organization. Um, so you you know, about a year ago you started Halo. How's all that? How's all that doing for you? Talk, talk about that's, the helicopter side. That's, and, uh, that's been how that's great. Growing? What I loved about the helicopter side is, is it's kind of like the phone call I got to run the business, right? Ken just called me out of the blue one day. It was with my friend, my, or sorry, my son um, in our local library. And I was bringing him, he was very young and, and the phone rang and Ken's like, hey, I just bought your company. I'd like you to run it, right? It just was one of those calls and you're just, wow, you know, boom. Um, similar, uh, kind of at the turn of last year, uh, I was working on the transaction for Halo because I do a lot of work with uh, with Ken and Mike Rossi and others uh, doing M&A. And so we decided to buy Halo, the company in London. And Ken eventually you know, came to me and said, hey, could you look at what it would take to bring AAG into the fold and kind of think about vertical lift and what we're going to do with it? And so uh, my job was to you know, kind of get airdropped into the AAG team. And a credit to them because I think they were so used to, you know, their owner. Um, and I had to kind of work through, okay, you know, talk to a lot of people. We worked on a lot of stuff and kind of right-sized a few things. Uh, we decided to move their headquarters. We decided to do a lot of things. But ultimately, my goal and my job wasn't to, you know, take that and Halo and bring it into one thing and just lead it. We also had to find a leader for that, that business. And so what was nice was I spent about six months with various folks taking AAG, bringing it into the one sky fold, right? Plugging it in, you know, we did everything that you would traditionally do in an integration, the back office stuff and so on and so forth, the buying power. Um, we got their techs, you know, new tools and things like that. And we started to look at, at, at where it would go. We, we changed their pilot scheduling and some other stuff. Um, we just really tried to bring in energy into what was uh, a platform that I think needed it, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. And uh, so we took that and that has since, you know, become FlexJet private helicopter. Uh, it's now based in Bridgeport, Connecticut at Sikorsky. Mm -hmm. uh, it is the largest uh, twin engine uh, S76 provider uh, in, in the Northeast. But more importantly, it's now you know, the, the various helicopters are going into FlexJet livery and they are becoming integrated and ingrained into that product set. Because what we learned was, you know, you took a G650 from overseas, you still had that last mile to go to in your journey. We could help you with that, right? We found that this notion of short distance aviation that a lot of folks were talking about as kind of discrete businesses, we kind of saw it as natural extension to the business. And we see that in Europe as well. In fact, we see it more in Europe in some ways. And so um, right now, you have FlexJet private helicopter, and that'll eventually evolve over to Europe. Halo is a management company, and it's the largest uh, Leonardo uh, managed set of uh, helicopters in Europe. And it's got a very interesting and extensive ownership base in terms of the aircrafts and in terms of their charter customers. And so that's being operated independently, but also assisting in driving to that FlexJet private helicopter business. But we see that as key, and it's also laying the foundation for what could be the future of flight with eVTOLs and, you know, gaining that short distance experience and, and, and gaining that, you know, those operational movements and that expertise in-house the same way that we've we've built it up in the fixed wing. You guys have been big investors in the eVTOL. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are are you are you that bullish on that market? I mean, you're you're watching it closely. Um, you know, benefits, challenges. Um, is there is there a real market for EV tall in the way that a lot of the manufacturers are talking about it? Um, tell me your thoughts. So a lot of capital has gone into that market. I think you're gonna see, you know, an interesting shakeout in that market. Um we're big believers. Uh, the 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 pros are, you know, the things I just talked about. You know, assuming that the the future evolves to, you know, a frictionless kind of convenient way to do short distances and, and think of things like that. And it'll probably get there in a very interesting manner. It may not be passengers right away. It might turn out to be things going out to oil rigs or you know all sorts of other ways that something gets adopted, but eventually it makes its way to certification, we believe. And we believe there's a, a, a um, uh, both a business and a product and, and so on and so forth. Where it lies 
is an interesting question, right? In terms of the brand structure and what we do. Um, I would say those are the pros, like it, it really does have that future of flight. I think you have to invest in the future of flight. We had invested in supersonic, you know, we're, we're you know, Ken is not uh, afraid, our chairman, Ken Ricky's not afraid to, to, to really look around that corner and invest. Um, I would tell you the cons are really interesting and, and they're, they're very limited at this point. Um, and that might be the con. Um, one, everybody at One Sky wants to know about them and work on them, right? Because it's the, it's the future, right? It's the coolest thing going. It's the shiny object. You know, myself, I, I worked on that order. Um, our fleet order for 200 eVTOLs from, from EVE, the spin out from Embraer. Um, and we see 100 in the, you know, the greater New York area and 100 in, in kind of the London area. And so that was a big commitment that we made. And we love that partner. Um, I think in the meanwhile, it's very interesting because we've all of our lines of business, um, eVTOLs, it is still, you know, we're working in the background, partnering with Eve, doing some testing and investing in certain areas. We just did um, committed to their, you know, their urban air traffic management system, which they've spent a lot of time on. But, you know, Craig, it's a future, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, and you can look at the street because there's a bunch of eVTOLs that are out on Wall Street. And, you know, it's the same thing asking an investor base. Why are you investing, right? Mm -hmm. it, I'm going to give you a similar answer, which is there is a future here. You can see it. There's enough willpower. There's enough capital. Some facet of this is happening and it's game on. The mm -hmm. question will be exactly what does it look like and how does it get there? And, you know, we've laid a bet and we believe our bet is a pretty sound one. And, and we did it for various reasons. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I think we're very bullish on, you know, looking at the future of flight. And the last thing I would say is, in addition to finding the leader, uh, a gentleman named Eli Flint for the vertical lift division, um, we took one of our executives in Europe, Adam Twidel, who had founded mm -hmm. Private Fly. Sure. And a Adam is now the head of future flight for, for One Sky. So you'll, if you're at Revolution Arrow, for instance, you'll see him and, and so on and so forth. But he and I now talk. Uh, about various things, but he's kind of out there looking around at things as well. And so we're just, you know, we kind of have learned a lot from the past. We're really focused on the present in terms of, you know, the metrics we have to hit, but we also look a lot at the future and looking around that corner. Gotcha. No, I love it. So, you know, keeping along the tech background, you guys obviously digital. Sure. Is yeah, absolutely. Big, is becoming a big, is, is a big player. Everybody's sort of shifting. Yeah. How is sure. how are you guys? You know, how are you morphing your digital future, as far as bookings or you know, you, you know tell me what's revolutionary. Ah, well, it, you know it's interesting because I think you people get enamored with tech and will do tech for you know or digital for digital sake, right? Mm -hmm. um, we actually, so if I use Sension as a good example, um, Sension waited to put a mobile app into play probably two years past when a lot of other folks had because we just wanted to understand at the time what our customer base wanted to do with it. And so, um, you know, at the time, our average customer was north of 60 years old, probably hadn't had that big technology curve that a lot of others had. So, but what we found was, you know, simple booking, just book, okay? And to book and make it simple, right? You know, in the terms of kind of that Apple-like simplicity that everybody's so used to now, that's really hard. You, you know, especially with what you go through in private aviation, and then you have legacy systems in the background. Mm -hmm. So we concentrated a lot on making that right. And we had a wonderful, not only adoption, but kind of a seamless integration into our base. And we've watched, you know, that grow. And now I would tell you that if, you know, you're, you're thinking about our total transactions for the year, somewhere between 30 to 35% will likely be uh, you know, digital transactions and bookings, right? That'll probably grow to 50% by the end of next year. And it doesn't mean that we don't have, you know, a huge team of client services personnel or anything like that. Uh, you can you can communicate with us any way you want. You can, you, you can fax us if you wanted to. I mean, that's a weird word to hear these days, but we'll deal with any way that you want to communicate. But what we found is we saw the growth curve happening pre-pandemic in digital, and then as McKinsey put out that report that said, you know, the first 10 weeks of the pandemic drove 10 years 
of technology adoption because everybody had to use Instacart and everything that was touchless. And so what we discovered was the alignment between that forced adoption meeting with, you know, that new kind of customer that probably wouldn't have flown privately before the pandemic, but this was the thing that got him in the ring. Mm-hmm. Suddenly we started to really see a lot happen. And then as volume really increased, you know, in some cases it was the most efficient way for somebody to book, right? So they right. really chose that path. So we've done that and we've evolved it since. Um, I'm I'm a big digital person and, and prior to business school was in digital technologies and I believe in transformation, but I don't believe in it yep. just to do it. It's got to be done in a way that is meaningful to the business. So we've really proved out with mobility that you could you could drive a new business. And then this past summer, uh, we've launched something called Text to Book that might sound relatively you know pedestrian. Oh, you're just using text to book a jet or something. In reality, we have almost like an artificial intelligence-like quality behind technology that doesn't require you to have an app. You can use, when we authenticate you, so no one can come in that's not a, a card holder, but you can quote, you can book, you can fool around with text, but in, in an organic environment that most people are used to using now, you can drive a booking. And we're just gonna continue to do those things. Right. And the reason being, is that we're trying to remove as much friction as we can from private aviation and generate the best possible experience. The flip side of it for, for what's in it for us outside of you know driving a, a, a experience for our customer base, happy customer equals happy life. But the other side of it is we get the data, we get to see what customers are booking, we get to see kind of how they're converting, we get to see how they're adopting technology. That's really important. Additionally, it creates operational efficiencies for us. So, you know, way back when we might we used to might measure just like phone calls per head in our in our call center. We're now looking at it and saying, okay, how many different avenues can we transact and where are the most popular transactions coming from? And do those segments look different and so on and so forth. And eventually we'll determine what it costs per channel to book and all the other things that you would think about. So technology is really important. And then at OneSky, we have a heck of a CTO and you know we're really looking across. FlexJet uses mobility purely for a services uh, component as an extension of Red Label. Um, we are unifying a lot of platforms so that we have you know a cloud-based kind of universe that has a lot of seamlessness to it. So I would say tech is you know part of our everyday conversation, action, and weaved within the fabric of one sky at this point. And you know, I like having the various brands because the various brands can be almost test beds for the various ways that you know digital can can either touch the base of clients or you know touch the base of our team members or our operational folks. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's very high touch. I mean, you never want to go all digital because your customers are very high. Absolutely touch. not. You know, it's, 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 it's that hybrid. You're like, well, we don't want to go too far with it, but we don't nope. want to go. You know, it's a very you know, it's very high touch. You know, so obviously a lot of data coming out of it, and you know, I don't want to talk. You say. Are the OEMs coming to you guys and saying, hey, look, you know, you know, y'all are, you know, how this is affecting their jets and how can we, you know, you know, improve the performance or the 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 fuel people coming to you or people going, hey, look, yeah, how can we use this? Or how can you guys use this data to reduce cost, increase sustainability, you know, you know, all the a lot of issues around the industry well, you know, can be solved when you yeah. have the right when you have the right stuff. I mean 100%. Um, but look, I think the OEM relationships, you know, especially at the FlexJet level are on a level where, you know, the dialogue is very consistent with that kind of thinking, um, some more than others, to be honest with you. Um, but in, in general, still not to the extent that you probably would think of. I think a lot of the act, action and activity off of the data, you know, comes almost at an internal level. Um, so you know, there's probably a lot of opportunity for that. And that's a, actually a really salient question, right? And if folks are in the OEM world that are listening and, and and such, you know, that's a great way to start thinking about, you know, when I think about, listen, um, if I think about what you raised before, right, with Eve and the EV tolls, mm-hmm. right, where there's data sharing and kind of information is, you know, between our vertical lift group and Eve, 
right? And, and they know routing and they know things and they know operational components. That, you know, shared kind of data and that shared kind of, you know, best in class, that's really important in that relationship. It's actually a key part of that, you know, bonded relationship. So it, it does happen. I'm surprised it doesn't happen a little bit more, to be honest with you. But then again, I think everybody looks at data somewhat differently, to be honest with you. And, you know, for us, data has really served an interesting purpose, which is when you think about a lot of the groups out there, the people that make dashboards, for instance, are great examples of this. You know, when you make a Domo dashboard or a Tableau dashboard, right, you don't want a million cards looking at you, so it's analysis paralysis. You've got to really knife your way down to those nine KPIs that -hmm. you could look at and really understand the spectrum of your business at any given moment. That's glanceable information. That's power. That takes a lot of work. So, you know, it's funny. I could bury people in data. But the question is, is, you know, how valuable is it, right? And most businesses could could do that. And a lot of businesses get carried away with it and get caught up in data that's, you know, more diagnostic or nice to have than it is a painkiller, right? All the data that I look at, hopefully on a daily basis, is almost a painkiller unless I'm off looking at some, you know, future project or a trend or being diagnostic on margin or something like that. But for the most part, the stuff I look at should be pretty hardcore and pretty, pretty much center. And to get there takes a lot. And then to optimize it over time takes a lot. So um, I, I would say we've gotten better and better at it. I would say that the more outlets we have for our consumers to touch us with that, to give us data points, absolutely think that there's value there to that third party ecosystem. No question. I think that's a great question. Are you guys using, you know, off the beat, you know, you know, machine learning, I take, you know, machine learning now is, is the big thing. And I got to think between all the, the, you know, everything that you guys are gathering and combine that with machine learning, is that helping you with pricing or, you know, faster quoting and you know, yep. better scheduling? Yeah. Is, this, yeah. is that starting to get refined down to like a really well-oiled machine? Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny, but, but um, I think if folks know, and are really plugged in and understand the business. Optimization comes through both technology and brain power, right? Tech can't purely drive 100% of optimization because tech can't accommodate for human nature. So there's always going to be that one element in your schedule that gets messed up that tech didn't see coming, right? So that's why you have the teams that you have. That said, uh, especially in the last couple of years, we've really paid attention to, to dynamic pricing and how we're getting to dynamic pricing and using inputs that are historical, right? So looking at two years versus data or four years versus peak data, for instance, right? Just in our business alone, the funny thing is this past year and a half threw a wrench in all the data, right? Because (laughs) because every other day became a peak day, right? So it used to be that you could say, okay, here are the 23 days this year that are going to be really hard. Right now, if you went by last year, you'd be like, "Here are the 135 days." Every day is hard. Every day really is hard. hard, right? You know, so every day, so every day is President's Day weekend. Right? Exactly, exactly. So you're going to find that there's there's some of that, but you know, again, it's at two levels, right? Durgar's DTO kind of does, you know, drives this at a one sky level, um, and and Ken has really, you know, been on top of this and pushed this. And then I'd say at the individual brand level, based on the knowledge of the customer base, you know, right there, kind of at you know two thousand feet above the customer, mm-hmm. it 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 comes at that leadership level, and then you kind of make those judicious decisions. And what's our capex this year? What are we investing in? And what are we pushing on? And so, I think for Sentient this year, it really was about you know how do we extend mobility and how do we create more operational efficiency and how do we give a better experience to our consumer and address a certain segment of the base and that was important right so that was kind of where we were versus you know you might find that uh, we're looking at at how to think about the economics of you know excess capacity on the fleet level uh, at a FlexJet piece. And that might require you to look at the, the value of that over a period of time. And that requires you to take a time horizon that might go back trailing 12, trailing 24, trailing 36, and then running it through, you know, that kind of learning that says, okay, what's this worth? When is this going to happen? When is that incident predicted to happen? And you can think about that then applying to all sorts of things like maintenance and 
things like that. So absolutely where we are and where we're headed, no question. Yeah, I got you. How sustainability? The one thing that scares me about the industry right now is the the noise around sustainability, green. You know, a lot of, you know, everybody looks at the the business jet, um, not as a tool, but as a, uh, you know, depending on which side of the aisle you're looking at from, you know, it's either a tool or it's uh, the most uh, horrendous uh, object in the sky. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I look at it as something that provides billions of dollars of economic value and, you know, thousands of jobs across the, uh, across the nation. Um, but, but everybody's paying attention to staff sustainability. Yeah. You, know, you guys are in the cutting, got to be on the cutting edge of that now and thinking about it. So talk about that a bit. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I think to the public and to the somewhat not so public, you know, they're focused on like Taylor Swift and people like that and, and, and what private jet travel looks like and, you know, should they be doing it the way they're doing it or what have you. And, and that's okay. I mean, uh, look, I, I'm the same way you are. Um, the way I think about it is if I was to go into the other room right now and look in our command center at where we're flying and I was to pick the story off to each of those flights, to your point, you'd find things that impact, you know, major, you know, economic drivers and GDP drivers. You'd find somebody that was going to a time-sensitive health appointment that was, you know, very important to them. You'd find a family member reconnecting. You'd find, you know, the list goes on and on and on before you get to a LeBron James-like, you know, I'm going here or going there story. And so part of it is the perception, right? That's That's a piece of it. So I think there's a you know, almost an obligation on the industry side to continue to get out the message as to why people use private aviation. But I think that, you know, um, I was saying this to somebody earlier, but sentience, um, you know, uh, message into the marketplace is a more thoughtful way to fly. And that's a statement we've really built around for a long time. And I think that that that's really kind of representative of the folk that work here. And so we thought about, you know, what we wanted to do and, and, at the same time, um, for air and uh, and and that group was really forming and thinking about how they could impact uh, the 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 marketplace. And you know, this hit Europe optically a lot more before it hit mm -hmm. the United States. And if you were to drive from, you know, Heathrow into London city center, you know, every other gas station is pitching, you know, what they're doing environmentally, and they're right. using it more as a marketing you know, kind of tool than anything else. And it comes across either as a marketing tool or almost very defensive. So it, it's tough to think about it, you know, when, you know, people are pushing on you about it. And what I would tell you that in aviation, I think we have a responsibility to, to really handle it, look at it, contribute to the solution of how do we address it and be thoughtful and creative and unique um, I don't think that we should be dismissive and just try to, you know, give a link to an offsetting company or, you know, just here, here's a blurb that, you know, you yeah. can recite or what have you. So what we did is we worked with 4Air and we offset, you know, everything, not just at a carbon level, but at an emissions neutral level. So instead of 100% of an offset, we do 300% of an offset for every flight leg at Sentient Jet. And the sentient jet pays for that. That's not built into the pricing. That was really important, right? We wanted to understand how we could contribute, how we could work on this. And we don't know that we found, you know, a solution per se to this. This is the start of something. Mm -hmm. But what it does is, you know, it removes, I don't, remove is a bad word. Uh, it, it, it kind of offsets not just the carbon, but it gets into, you know, the water vapors, the aerosols, the nitrous oxides. So it gets to true emissions offsetting. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when I look at it, so at the six-month marker, we were just under 300,000 metric tons of, of offsetting. Um, that's a, about a 17% increase over last year. And that represents, you know, uh, providing the energy to a, the average American town for an entire year planting 5 million trees over 345,000 acres. Yeah. It's impactful. It's, it's significant. And, uh, you know, dare I say it, Sentient's still a small company, yeah. right? So it's, it's, it's just that, you know, we're thinking about it in a way that says, how can we contribute? How can we differentiate? 
How can we be creative about it? And you know, a lot of it also has to do with the dialogue around our clients. And I would say that our clients have been very interested and asked, you know, what are you doing here? How are you thinking about it? That's how we're thinking about it. And as much as I would love to tell you, it's completely that, you know, I'm altruistic and I want to really impact the environment here. That's very true. And that's why we're very thoughtful. And that's how we've done it. And I want our team members to be proud about how we've done it. Um, But we're also, again, trying to see around that corner. I believe that ultimately, you know, there will be some form of regulation around this. So, you know, much like getting a digital transformation to happen, you do need a sustainability transformation to happen. And right now you can you can control that. You can think about that in as pragmatic a way as you can. And so, for instance, instead of just the 300% offset as to where we, you know, stop, it's kind of where we're starting and you'll see exactly what you're offsetting and and there'll be an audit trail for that. And so we're thinking about it on a lot of different spectrums. And I don't know that we have it right, but I think, you know, we wanted to get into it and we wanted to get into the game per se, and we wanted to help figure it out. So that's how we've addressed it at at the card level. FlexJet is doing something very similar, especially over in Europe. Um, I know that uh, FX uh, Air is offering kind of a you know, it's a different model. So they're offering, you know, one level and then you can purchase into more, et cetera. But yeah. we've put a lot of thought around it, just like we kind of do a lot of our things. It's not a yes or no or a, yeah, black or white. It's uh, hey, look, we understand the concern and here's how we're addressing it and here's how yep. we're helping it and fixing it. And that's the message business aviation should be, I think, should be putting out there from NBAA on down, every OEM. It's like, hey, look, we understand your concerns. Here's how we're going to address them moving forward so that everybody's happy. Yeah, And and that can be done. It's 100%. I mean, it's like when when Michael gets up at uh, Corporate Jet Investor and talks about Embraer. It talks about them reusing, you know, materials and things like that. I mean, everybody's thinking about it. The question is, is what do you put in action? What are you trying? What are you testing out? What are you learning from it? And, you know, to your point, it is not black and white. It is not a yes or no. It is a, you know, let's invest, let's figure this out and let's continue to build on it. And to your point, you know, SAF eventually could make its way, you know, and probably will make its way across our operator community. Someday we may choose operators and who we work with based on that, or we may charge differently based on the fuel that someone's using. All of those things are real and could be real. But it's kind of like EV tolls, right? That's ultimately an interesting destination because you know you're you're pulling away from fossil fuels. But we don't know what that's going to be yet. So rather, you should participate and you know understand where things are at the moment and be part of that as you go. Um, and you know, I, look, we put out a release this year on on what we were doing, and we didn't do it as a chest thump. That's a little ridiculous. We did it because we just wanted to kind of spark a bit of conversation around it to see what everybody else was going to do. Yep. And hopefully that happens. And I hope others, you know, jump in and have other creative solutions, et cetera. But that's ours. Yep. I got you. So last question, we'll wrap it up. Are you bullish sure. on the industry? What, uh, I mean, obviously you got, you got, a, you got a supply chain that, that you can't pump out a whole lot more airplanes. You got customers out there that are wanting to use them. Is it, is this a sustainable bull market we're in right now? Or, you know, what do you, how do you see the industry in the next couple of years post COVID? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I would give you a hell yeah in terms of what I believe about the industry. I just think the industry needs to change. And I think we're witnessing it. And I think we all have a front row seat for it. So pricing rationalization uh, is big, right? I, you know, look, it, it's basic supply and demand economics, right? If if you've got supply, but supply is limited, okay, you know, this is where like the Uber comparison always breaks down. There's plenty of black cars out there forever, but there's not plenty of jets. And so you have to price accordingly and the consumer and the marketplace has to accept that. So that's Mm -hmm. the first part, right? Second, I do think that you'll see some unlocking and some loosening on the secondary market, right? Um, and, and that's, you know, from an aircraft perspective, that's because you probably had a lot of people that lunged in. I mean, this is a classic. We have cardholders that did this and now they're cardholders for this very reason. They lunged in, they just overshot everything. They immediately panicked and said, instead of buying a card or a fraction when the pandemic hit, I'm going to go in and buy a jet with a friend, or I'm going to buy a jet, 
So they did. And then they got to see what the performer was like every month on what it was like to own a jet. And, you know, that's uh, that's an interesting performer, right? That's an interesting way to look at your money and, and, and the outflow. I think a lot of people will bring some mar- some aircraft back into market that way, and that will help a bit. Um, and, you know, or those people will look for how do I subsidize this? And they will go into the traditional operator relationship where they charter X percentage of that capacity out in order to offset their costs. I think that cycle goes on. Um, the OEMs, a little stuck. I think we're yep. going to have to go through a couple of years of, you know, some pain to get there. But, um, I, you know, the one thing I would say is this is going to be a very spiky universe for the next year or two, and it's going to still fool a lot of people. And, you know, we're trying to be cognizant of that. So September is probably not going to be the biggest volume month, but then you're heading right into the holiday season. And the same way that you're seeing, you know, the the talking heads on on the various newsies right now say, well, you're going to run into the same commercial problems over the holidays. You might see that in private because everybody kind of gets lulled into this. Well, hey, volume's down. We can go back into market with this or with that. I, I think you got to be careful. I think you have to think about this. So, um, but we did shake out a lot of folks that you know this was probably not the best market for them to exist in. Right? They, right. they this was not for the faint of heart. You know, really making intensive capital decisions, really making, you know, ways, thinking about ways to garner more supply. All of that took a lot of, you know, crystal ball moments, a lot of, you know, capital and, you know, a lot of kind of holding your breath. And so we'll see where it goes. I am bullish on it. I feel like we'll grow as an industry and be better for it. But the pain's not over yet. I think we still got to go through some friction uh, before we see the other side of this for sure. I agree. It's been fun watching you guys grow. So thanks Great. for coming on. I'm you know, wish you more success. Absolutely. Same to you, Craig. Thanks for having me today. Thanks, Andrew. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.